0: Yeah. Let me just open us up in prayer, and then we can get started. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for uh, just waking us up and bringing us here. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to to learn about you and to see what you say about our homes this morning, Lord. Help us to um, just hear you well, see you well, Lord. Help my words to be clear, Lord, and use this time as a time to encourage us all to love you more. In your name, amen. So before I get into the actual lesson, I want to go over the handout that Ali sent you guys. Let's see if I can not screen share to um, Wellspring. I did that a couple of weeks ago. I screen shared to Wellspring, and then my brother sent me a text and was like, you're ruining my lesson in the middle of, I'm like, okay, make sure sure I hit the right Apple TV. Um, So I... I sent this out, I think most of you guys got it in email, or all of you guys got it in email, I hope. Um, Probably five years ago, uh, I kind of realized in my home technology had taken over. And so I wanted to create something to use as an evaluation within our house um, to make sure that we were all using technology well. And so we've gone through this checklist, I don't know, probably four times in the last five years as a family, Um, and we've applied it to different things. We've applied it to our use of television, but most of the time we apply it to our use of phones. Um, I think it's very easy. Before my kids had a phone, it was usually dad who had rules around his phone, like no phones at the dinner table, dad. um, That's still usually the rule, like usually it's me that gets reprimanded for that. and, and so technology can be good. There are good things about having technology at our grasp, but we need to keep a right perspective on it. And so um, I've used this more than the five times we've done it, or four times. I know Jonathan can correct me. Um, we've done it as a family in my own life and just kept in mind these kind of four things at the big top that God does have a purpose for technology. Technology is there because God has a purpose for it. Many good things can come from technology. Um, The the easiest way to think about it is the way we can support our missionaries is so different from the way we supported missionaries 15 years ago. Um, And I can't imagine being in the mission field like when I was in high school and we were sending missionaries from my old church versus today. Um, and being able to still be connected to the body and technology does that um, but Satan also has a purpose for technology um, I know men who have never struggled with lust and porn and as soon as they get a cell phone it's a gateway to that um, and so Satan has a purpose for technology um, and as we talk about our hearts our hearts have a purpose for technology and we need to shepherd our hearts towards God's purpose and um, and I, I strongly believe there's a way to glorify God with tech. Um, I am, have been an IT director for 15 years. If there's not a way to glorify God with tech, I've chosen the wrong field. Kind of chose the wrong field anyway. So I think I'll go into coffee. Um, <laughs> but, um, and so that's these questions here are are a lot of theoretical questions. They're broad. They just help you kind of level your mind around. Where the technology is and there's different ways you can answer the questions that don't really get at the heart like if you broadly answer and say how can technology lead you into sin it's not going to really examine your own heart of how can this specific technology that i'm talking about lead me personally into sin and so maybe i worded them too broad um but i usually go through this with the screen time app open and look and see where am i spending my time did i spend Four hours playing Twenty Forty Eight last month. No, because I deleted it because the previous month I did. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and then just thinking about like scanning through your texts and saying, "Is my are my interactions building people up? Are they tearing people down? Am I doing things with this technology to glorify God?" Um, it's pretty enlightening, and it's very helpful. When you do this with your kids, I don't know how many of you guys have kids old enough to have phones or that have phones. Um, we've All of our kids have phones and we've managed that um, probably poorly at first. Um, and, and then working with our kids on how to keep their hearts right as technology has entered our home and entered their lives, um, this has been helpful. And before, like when I thought, oh I should do this with Build and go over this with Build, I was like, well, I should probably go over this with my family again so that I don't sound hypocritical because it's probably been a couple years. And so I think it was last week that we went together, went through this together. Um, and it was enlightening and it was helpful and it was, gave me a shepherding tool to help me see how my kids are approaching tech. And, um, and for some of them, it was more computer things that they're doing, they, they're more tied to the computer than the cell phone. Um, television. um, This game, you may have heard of it called Minecraft has entered our home. Um, And so just talking through how that has affected them and how um, they can prioritize their time around it has been really helpful. Um, Yeah, so I highly recommend just using this as a homework guide. Um, I think it would be Helpful. I don't think any of us are immune to allowing technology to take over in ways that it's unhelpful. And so um, that's why I kind of wanted to go over that this morning. So, oops, that's not what I meant to do. The other thing I just wanted to kind of reset before we get in because, you know, when I, I was talking to Matt York about this, when I said that we were going to. Um, kind of skipped the last build meeting so that people could go to the um, conference here, the TES conference. I didn't think that was going to be that big a deal, but um, I feel like it's been forever since we've been together. I, I kind of feel like I, that was a mistake to do that because um, I've missed these meetings. Uh, I've missed being with you guys, and I think we kind of took ourselves out of a rhythm of just being part of build. And so, because of that, I'm going to screen share again and go over the God's transformation of man thing one more time. Um, So we spent three sessions, I think, talking about this, and I just want to remind you as we go over the home, how this can affect our way that we shepherd our home. And so before Christ, we were unregenerate. Once we're in heaven, we're completely yellow. Um, And today, we're kind of grayish-yellow, like when you highlight ink that hasn't completely dried. Um, That's what we are today. And so we're battling this old man, and we need to be shepherding our hearts to battle this old man. And the the old man exists within the saved people in our home. Um, And the new man exists within the saved people in our home. And the old man exists completely within the unsaved people of our home. And so as we shepherd our non-believing kids or family members, um, we need to think through how we bring the gospel to them. Um, And as we shepherd the saved family members, we need to think through that. And, And in reality, it's not a whole lot different. Um, Because we need to shepherd our kids to be fighting that old man one way or the other. Um, And so that's what we're going to spend some time talking about today. Um, This passage, or this lesson, I don't know if any of you guys have gone through Build before and had this lesson. Um, This lesson has somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 passages. Um, And I don't know how many of you guys know this, but I was homeschooled. Homeschoolers don't read out loud very well, so here you go. Um, But we're going to go through somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 passages today, working from the left side of our Bible to the right, and just see what God's heart is for the home. Um, And in that... We could look at this in multiple ways. We could look at the commands that God has specifically for us as um, leaders of our home. We could look at stories about the home and see specific examples on how God has a heart for the home. Or we could look at the implications of household relationships on our interactions with God. Um, Or we could read the Bible from left to right and trace the home all the way through it, and check all three of those boxes. And so that's what we're going to do today. Um, I've split up this lesson into three major categories, and so we have basically nine ways that God looks at the home. Um, And in those nine ways, I've split them into three categories because it's easier for me to think in threes, so that's how we're going to go through it. Um, the first category, which is really the broadest stroke and the most amount of scripture, is God's concern for the household as a whole. Um, and then we're going to look at how God has some concern for his glory within the household. And then the last couple are God's concern for gospel-centered marriages. And so, um, let's just get started. I hope to get done in an hour, so we'll see. Um, So God's concern for the household as a whole, Um, we're going to look at just an overview of what God's concern is. And so you guys should have in your handouts um, all of the verses. I'm going to actually likely skip some because I just can't imagine we're going to read all of these passages in an hour. Uh, And so let's start by looking at the Ten Commandments. And so let's go to Exodus 20 and start from there. So we all know the Ten Commandments were given to Moses in Mount Sinai, and God was providing regulations in a way that he never had before. And in that, he gave ten very specific regulations. Um, We're going to look at three of those. The first one is in verse 12. It says, You shall honor your mother and your father, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the the Lord your God gives you. And so that first relationship that he looks at in the Ten Commandments is the parent-child relationship. And then moving on to verse 14, it says, you shall not commit adultery. And so there he's looking at the husband and wife relationship. Um, And then in verse 17, he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And in that one, he's looking at the whole house. And so... God's concern for the household is very clear here in the Ten Commandments. Um, And God's focus on the household is in three separate ways in three separate commandments. And so he's looking for honor, respect, and protection within the household. Um, You guys don't need to go there, but in the Deuteronomy 5.16 verse says, Honor your mother and your father as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord, your God, gives you. We'll later touch on this, but this is a commandment with a promise. And so it's important to God, and he actually has a promise tied to the way that you um, live out this commandment in your household. So as we continue to look for God's heart in the household, let's all turn to Deuteronomy 4. We're looking at verses 9 and 10. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Remember the day you stood before the Lord, your God, at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. You can see a very clear interconnectedness here between our discipline one and discipline two Um, if you look at verse nine where it says give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen Um, do not depart from your heart all the days of your life and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life that right there is a a obvious command to shepherd your heart and the, resp- and the response to shepherding your heart is, oh, and make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Um, shepherding your home is, is a direct way to shepherd your home. It's to teach your home the things that you have learned from God. Uh, Scott has used the phrase, and I've used the phrase for years since then, that you want your heart shepherding to have an aroma in your household. Um, and this is, this is exactly what that is. This is shepherding your heart well and then making them known to your kids and your family. Um, And he basically repeats himself. He says, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days of their lives and that they may teach their children. So we listen to God's word, we learn to fear him, and we teach our children to fear him. This is what God's concern and God's desire for us as men in our homes to be able to do. Uh, Let's move to a couple of pages to the right and look at Deuteronomy 6. Or a couple of swipes if you're on your phone. Uh, We're looking at verses 4 through 9 here. God determined that there would be an inseparable connection between what they did in their own heart, and what they did in their family. And we're going to look at that again here in this passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which which I am commanding to you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach. There you go, D2. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This D2 teaching is not strictly, hey, we're going to set aside Wednesday nights, we're going to get together, and we're going to talk about God's word as a family. And it's not excluding that, but it is not merely that. If you have it on your doorpost, if you have it written on your hands, if you have it on your forehead, if you're reminding yourself to talk about these things always, these talking about things of God and teaching your family is driving in the car on the way to school, um, driving on the way to soccer practice. It's interacting with your wife in all interactions, not just devotions and knowing where she is, what she's studying, where her heart is. Um, there is an important burden here That we need to be always conscious of how we're shepherding our household, Um, shepherding our hearts, putting those things in our and in those places help us shepherd our own hearts. But if our shepherding of our heart isn't public within our home, then our family's missing out on what God's doing in our hearts. Um, I know I fall prey to that. I have a tendency to to slice times when no one's around to shepherd my own heart. whether it's early in the morning, late at night. Um, I think very rarely my kids have seen me doing devotions unless I'm prepping for something like this Um, because I try to protect the time with my kids. I don't know that that's helpful. It's a rhythm I've had. I don't know how to break out of it. Um, But I think it's important for our kids and our family to see us shepherding our heart. Um, And so that's, that's part of what I think this passage is talking about. Let's move... One more to the right. Uh, Look at Deuteronomy 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. When the Lord your God brings you you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away many nations before it, the Hittites, the Gergeshites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you, and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. But thus you shall do to them you shall tear down their altars, and smash their sacred pillars and hew down their their Asherim, and burn their graven images with fire. When he says in verse 4 and 3 and 4 you shall not intermarry with them um, the question is why? Like this isn't a racist comment this is a comment that says they serve other gods and they're going to turn your kids um, hearts away from the Lord your God towards these other gods. Um, That's that's obviously a claim to protect your kids' hearts uh, as, they, as they're um, from the potential love of other things, other gods. Um, but it's also an indictment on just allowing things in your home that can turn your, your family's heart away from God. Um, and so, what things are in our homes that could turn our family's hearts away from God? Um, we live amongst people that have lots of idols. um, Do we have those same idols in our home? He would not let any of these things that they took from all of these seven nations in their home. God wouldn't let these seven things from all these nations come into the homes of Israel because he knew they would draw their hearts away from God and towards whatever the lusts of the flesh are there. And so he forbid it. Um, And I think we need to take that same type of... Um, warning in our own homes and protect our homes. Um, and when you look at this, the burden on the, is on the father and on the mother in Israel to shepherd their children in such a way that they don't abandon Yahweh. Um, we don't want our kids to, to be given temptations that uh, they would fall prey to. Um, and I think that's it's important even to just think about, as we mature as Christians, and have Christians in our home that may or may not be as mature as us, um, how did we protect ourselves and what, what things did we put around ourselves to protect us from sin um, in the younger days? And, and we need to put those protections around our family. Uh, and I, I think it's, that's another thing that's easy for me to see just where I'm not protecting my family uh, from things that, that I would never have had in my home. Uh, when I was younger, and so uh, this is this is a good warning. Let's keep moving. Psalm seventy-eight. At the end of this, if you guys just go home and do sword drills with your family, you should be much better. Um, and if you were raised in a Christian home, you know what sword drills are. Um, This section, we're looking at verses 1 through 8 here, um, give us an inseparable connection um, between the man's heart for Yahweh and his obligation with his own children. Um, So let's read verses 1 through 8 together. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them. What is them? We're about to find out. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation a generation that did not prepare its hearts and whose spirit was not faithful to God this isn't just teaching our children the statutes of God but it's teaching our children about God in a way that brings praise um, so when he says we will not conceal them t- from their children but so, but tell to the children to come the gener- uh, tell to the children to come the praises of the Lord and his j- strength and his wondrous works that he has done um, I know especially as my kids were younger that I had a tendency to Mostly, just put my kid's need for a savior on full display. Um, and, and when you're saved, that is a great way to praise God that he saved you from that need. Um, but there's, there's an important point to be noted here that our kids should see why God is worthy to be praised. Um, and we need to help our children and help our wives and help those that live with us to see that God is worthy to be praised. Um, and so that's the question I have is, is how have you presented God to your family in the last week that has made them recognize him as one that's worthy to be praised? I, I'm not sure how I would answer that. Um, yeah. Can I answer that? There, there's, Absolutely. Absolutely that's here in verse seven, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the 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 works of God, and, 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 and this sweet idea that you know our, that where do our children turn for hope, right? Um, Whether they turn to Jesus sets up God as that ultimate one in whom to place their hope. Yeah. That's good. Let's keep moving. The last section of the Old Testament, Malachi four, one through six. For some reason, I always have a hard time getting to Malachi. It must be part of my Bible that doesn't get opened very much. (laughs) So Malachi, basically all of chapter 4, says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all burning like a furnace and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff and all the day that is coming will set them ablaze says the lord of hosts i'm gonna take a break here okay so i roast coffee it's kind of what we do um when you're roasting coffee chaff comes off the coffee i'm not sure this is the exact analogy but um so we're we're applying probably 700 degree heat to the coffee beans um, trying to get the coffee up to about 400 degrees and as it cooks there's an outer skin on the coffee shell that kind of blows off as you go and so um, if you come into the shop it's like it's a mess um, and that chaff always not always can spark so fast and then all of the chaff just goes away in flames like immediately because it's this thin layer that it just immediately catches fire, and then the whole shop smells like smoke for a while. Um, and you open the doors and hope that your neighbors don't complain. Um, and no joke, this week we got turned down for a new flex space because they didn't want coffee and burn smell in their suites. So I'm like, what? There's no burn smell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. I'm like but, so whenever I see the word chaff, I think of, um, and and there's certain kinds of coffees that have more chaff, and Alyssa Maxwell, who does most of our roasting, hates those coffees because they have a tendency to spark, and so anyway, every time I see the word chaff, I think of those instant fires that burn out pretty quick, um, and that's exactly what this is referencing, so let me start over. Um, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every doer will be like chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness will rise and with healing in its wings you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet, on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. In that day of the Lord, when Elijah comes, the first thing he's going to do is restore family relationships. Family relationships are important to God. The way that you interact in your, your relationship with your sons, daughters, are important to God. God's way of preparing his people Israel for his coming is strengthening those household relationships. So we've worked our way through a couple of Old Testament passages. Let's move on to the New Testament. And let's start in Ephesians 6. Um. so Ephesians (coughs) 6 1 through 4 children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In this section, the fifth commandment is brought under the authority of Christ for the church. We are given this commandment as part of the church age. Children need to shepherd their hearts well um, in the gospel so that they can be prepared to honor their parents. Um, I don't think there's that many people here that are kids that are still in their homes, Jonathan, Isaiah. Um, But (laughs) it's um, important to shepherd your heart well so that you can honor your parents. And dads and moms, we're to shepherd our hearts well so that we don't completely frustrate our kids. Um, Gospel-centered parenting is not provoking. Um, This doesn't mean that we're going to have unangered children in our home because... Our kids will don't want to fight the old man Um, and many of our kids the old man is them Um, and so there's going to be anger but gospel-centered parenting is not aimless and exasperating Um, and and if we're parenting our kids well um, we're easy to follow Um, there's consistency there's things that help our kids know where the lines are and can be able to follow that well Um, I know in my home, consistency is hard, because there's days where I have more patience and can let more things go, and days when I have less patience and let things that I'd never reprimanded my kids for before be stopped, Um, and that's not gospel-centered parenting. Gospel-centered parenting is consistency um, and helping our kids understand where the lines are and not exasperating (laughs) But the point of that is to know that God's importance and centrality of the home follows into the New Testament. Um, This isn't an Old Testament thing that we don't need to worry about. Um, This is very important to God. The household relationships are important to God throughout all of Scripture. So let's keep moving. 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. I don't know why that took me a while. I actually had my bookmark in that section. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5. Uh, He must be one who manages his household well. This is speaking of elder qualifications. Um, He must be one who manages his household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? God's design in the church is to have men leading who have trained themselves to oversee their household relationships and who will not play leapfrog over their wives and children as they engage in gospel ministry in the church. Um, You can see there in verse 5 where it says he doesn't know how to manage his own household. Discipline 2, how can he take care of the church of God? Discipline 3. Christ died for the church and he asks men to lead the church and shepherd their households well um, in light of that. He holds the household relationship in very high regard. So that's our broad view through scripture. Um, Now I want to look at one Old Testament man who grasped God's heart for the household well. Um, Let's go back to Joshua. going to look at the very end of Joshua. Um, The last chapter of Joshua, he's um, basically walking through with Israel, everything that God had done for Israel. Um, And he spends the first 14 or 13 verses doing that. Um, And then he goes and and gives them. An imperative about what the result of what they've seen God do um, and so let's read really the second half of the chapter um, and so it says now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth but put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See how he connected his home right there. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of of bondage and who these great signs in our sight and who did these great signs in our sight and persevered us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you after he has done after he has done good to you. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, put away... The foreign gods which are in your midst, and incline your hearts to the Lord your God, to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, "We will serve the Lord our God, and we will obey His voice." So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his inheritance. Um, I'll stop there. Joshua basically had an argument with Israel, saying, They said we'd serve God. And he said, your hearts aren't there. And they're like, no, we swear we're going to serve God. Um, And Joshua's like, I'm going to serve God. My household's going to serve God. Um, Your actions are going to be witnesses to what you're doing. Um, There's an important um, way of thinking here. The words that we say don't necessarily represent our actions. Um, We need to make sure that when we say we want our household to shepherd, to serve God, that we're doing the actions that take place to help our household serve God. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll leave that section at that um, and let's just keep going. The next section is some Old Testament failures to grasp God's heart for the household. Um, We're actually going to skip... The Exodus four, I think I'm only 20 minutes behind. So. Yeah. Um, in Exodus four, 21 through 26, God, put, Moses put God's deliverance of his people, Israel, potentially at risk by ne- neglecting, circumcising his own son and. Um, that's a scary place to be when you're not obeying God's word, the effects that can happen. And so we're going to skip that and move on to 1 Samuel. Um, And I want to talk about Eli and his sons. So 1 Samuel chapter 2. And we'll start in verse 12. It, so far, I think I've gotten every book right. So that's an improvement over the last time. Um, so we're going to look at 12 through 17 of chapter 2. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Wow, that's quite an indictment. The sons of Eli were worthless men and they did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priest with the people. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priest with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. But the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first and take take as much as you desire. Then he would say, No, but you will give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for the the men despised the offering of the Lord. Um, Let's jump ahead to 22 and watch um, Eli rebuke his sons. Now, Eli was very old. And he heard all that his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they lay with women who served at the doorway at the tent of meetings. And he served, said to them, Why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all of these people. No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sin against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord... Who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Um, young ones hear better. These these were these were older sons. Eli was very old. Um, you don't want to wait till your kids are older to start teaching them the ways of the Lord. Um, you need to teach them at a young age. Um, there's one, um, I guess comforting truth in here is the end of verse 25. They would not listen to the voice of their father for the Lord desired to put them to death. Um, at the end of the day, God controls the hearts of our family and he has a plan for them, um. And so he commands us to shepherd our family well, but he may have a plan different than our desire. Um, That's comforting in that I'm not going to ruin my kid's salvation, Um, but it's troubling in that I can do everything right and I may have a child who doesn't um, love God. Um, And at the end of the day, we're commanded to teach our children the precepts of the Lord, um, and, and he will do what he wills. And so here's God talking to Eli. He says, why do you kick at my sacrifice? We're at 29. Um, and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling, you honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering. Um, I'll, I'll skip the rest. The important part of that whole section is, is Eli did, um, did not shepherd his family well. He honored his sons above God. Um, And so what does that look like today? Um, That can be lazy parenting. Um, It can be, it's more important for me to, I don't know, watch TV, do something other than shepherding my kids. Um, And that's, that's not honoring God above our family. Maybe it's a fear of some of those tough conversations with our kids. As they get older, the conversations get harder. Um, and and if I don't want to have an awkward conversation with my child, um, that's honoring my child above God. Um, maybe it's prioritizing their wants over a well-prioritized household. Um, this isn't an indictment towards all extracurricular activities. Um, But I hear a lot of times, well, my kid wants to to play in three sports and our life is crazy. Is that that prioritizing the household um, and the things of the Lord over what your kid wants? Um, And so I would just encourage us all to to look at how we're um, prioritizing our kids versus how we're prioritizing the things of God. Um, I don't want to have God say to me, Um, You honored your sons above me. Um, I don't think any of us want to hear that. And I really don't want to hear God's desire to put my kids to death because of their actions. Um, And I think if we honor God with our lives, we have um, a lot of help there. Yeah. I think we've all seen households where the kids run the home. Yeah. And you walk in and you go, well, who's in charge here? And it's pretty clear that the kids are in charge of the kid, in some cases, is in charge. And this looks to me to be that full blossoming fruit <coughs> of letting the kids be in charge. Absolutely. And then eventually, one day, you're like, hey, you guys are dishonoring the household of the Lord. <laughs> and the kids are like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What you go about it, Dad. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I know. I was talking to someone recently who's exactly my age and has kids about 10 years younger than mine. And I'm so glad I'm not in that stage of life anymore. Um, so many of you guys have kids that are 10 years younger than mine. Um, that is exhausting. It is exhausting to be on all the time. Um, and constantly being consistent with your kids and with your household. Um, it, it's, it's so important. Um, if if I were to do some things over, I know I would have prioritized work lower um, during some of those vital years because it's so important to be there for your wife to support her well. Um, it's so important to be there for your kids to support them well. Um, and there's just so many things you can do to help control your house. Um, it, it's easy to come home exhausted from a long day after a long commute and just need 20 minutes or an hour or three hours to get back into the mode and, um, and your kids will be running your house um, you have to come in and be the leader of your homes uh, yeah, thanks John, that's helpful First Samuel 7 Actually, you know what? I'm going to skip this as well. Um, we're going to never get done if I don't skip that one. Let's go um, to Second Samuel 7 and talk a little bit about David. This is a story that's incredibly familiar Um All right, let's just read 7, 1 through 11. Now it came about when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. The king is David here. "Um, That the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in the tent of curtains. And Nathan said to the king, God, go do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. But in the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelled in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Um, Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts I took from your from you from the pasture from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel I've been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all of your enemies from before you and I will make you a great name like the name of the great men who are on earth I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel And I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declared to you that the Lord will make a house for you. And then jumping down to verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your your throne shall be established forever. And then 18, then David, the king went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And then we jump four chapters later to chapter 11. And where is David's heart turned? Um, 11.26. Well, okay, so we, I'm skipping a lot, but you know where David's heart turned, right? You remember him staying home from his duties, watching Bathsheba, bringing her into his home, impregnating her and then he came and killed Uriah and now the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead and she mourned for her husband and when the time of mourning was over David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and then she bore him a son but the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord David turned from an honoring of his home and wanting his home to honor God to having his household relationship destroy his legacy in many ways. Um, And so God talks to him later. I'll just read it, chapter 12. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon, and now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord: Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. Um, one man's neglect of his household impacted an entire nation for generations. If God promise, if God's promises, promises this concerning your household, what is your responsibility with your, in your household, and what is your neglect? What happens if you neglect it? Um, things that you neglect in your household will impact things will impact your family for generations to come um, and and David was an example of this he, he had a moment of sin turned devastating um, and he was unable to build the house of the Lord if you know the whole story um, on his watch, God took that from him um, and so the importance of putting our household relationships as a priority just continues to be reinforced throughout this. Um, First Kings 11, I'm going to skip that one as well. Um, this discusses King Solomon. He may not have had the right priority for his household. Um, he may have had um, a few wives. I always think it's interesting reading early Proverbs and the, the warning to Solomon's son um, around wives uh, I just think that's it's interesting to see a man who just falls towards his temptation, area of temptation so much, just warning his kid, don't do what I did um, and so he didn't take that he didn't take his household seriously and it had a huge effect um you guys can go ahead and read that on your own um and so the next section is god's concern for his glory within a household so this one we're going to go back to deuteronomy 6 and just peek at some of the ease at which god is forgotten within a household Last night when I was prepping, I was, I just turned to every single passage in my Bible to see how long that would take and kind of read through them, um, took forever. <laughs> I was like, man, this lesson's going to be long. <laughs> um, so. um, Deuteronomy 6, uh, we're going to look at verses 10 through 12, um, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery." Um, And then skipping over a couple pages to chapter 8, we're going to look at verse 10 through 20. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when you're herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies then your heart will become proud and you will forget forget the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt and out of the house of slavery Um, i'm going to stop there this is an indictment about when you have everything you need it's easy to forget god um uh, the counter, it's, it's very easy when you're not sure where your next meal is going to come from um, to be very reliant on God. Um, I know there's been times in my life where I wasn't quite sure how this bill was going to get paid or that bill was going to get paid. There was a lot of prayer in those moments. Um, and in times in our life when there's plenty and you're not worried about that, do you take the same amount of prayer and thankfulness to God? Um, and Jenna always has a great perspective on the coffee business because she always says every single order that comes through is just a gift from God that I don't understand why He's doing that. Um, and that perspective on just remembering um, that that everything we have is a gift from God, and these are these are stern warnings um, that we will start calling ourselves as the ones that earned all this, um, and so. You know, when you look at, at the 8-10, the through 10, verse 11, it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. Um, and then later it says, your, Then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God. Um, as you get plenty, it is easy for you to put that, those things as gifts that you've given yourselves um, and not recognize that everything you have came from God. Um, it's easy for us to forget God within our own homes. Um, let's look at the impact of faith on one's entire household. Let's jump ahead to Acts 16, 11 through 15. As you're turning there, um, I'll just touch on what the Acts 10 passage says. Um, it's when Cornelius, the centurion, um, brings Peter into his home and his entire household is saved because of that. Um, and there's an importance in one man who has a love for God and is trying to shepherd his house, the impact to the, that can have in the home. And we're going to look at that a, a little bit here Um In Acts 16, we're going to start in verse 11. Um, So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. sure. And on the day following to Neapolis and from there, Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposed to supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled a woman named Lydia, the seller of um, purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. And that, that's that she was an Old Testament believer. A worshiper of God was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul, and so that's the New Testament faith that Jesus was the Messiah. And when she and her when she and her household had been baptized, um, she urged us, saying, "If you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay." And she pre- prevailed upon us. Lydia was an Old Testament believer, and the Lord opened her heart to believe in Jesus, and her whole house was baptized. You get one heart, and oftentimes the whole household changes at the heart level. Um, anyone here have a family member come to faith? Um, was anyone here impacted by a family member, and that's how they came to faith? Um, I know for those of us that have family members who aren't Christians, um, that's comforting. And and there's a big, there's a significant thing about. The family relationships as it comes to bringing the gospel to each other um, whether it's parents siblings children um, we have a role in those people's lives more than we do in anyone else's because we're just there more um, and we know the insides of their hearts and we can speak to their hearts better and people listen to their family more than they listen to friends and so i would just challenge you on any family relationship how are you bringing the gospel to the to the lost family members um Lydia had a heart transformed, and immediately her family was transformed. Um, and I know that, I mean, if we went around the room, I'm willing to bet that most of us were brought the gospel the first time by a family member or have seen a family member come to faith through interacting around the gospel. Um, let's jump over a page to Acts 16:22 through 34. The jailers were responsible for um, to keep prisoners locked up. And so let's look at um, this jailer as he interacts with Paul and Silas. Um, the crowd rose up together against them, Paul and Silas, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them down with many blows, they threw them into a prison, commanding the to to guard them securely, and he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them and Suddenly, there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone 's chains were unfastened and When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself that 's a desperate place to be. Um, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for the lights, and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds wounds and immediately he was baptized with all of his household and he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly having believed in God with his whole household this is such an encouragement to someone who has unbelieving family Um, God has such a priority for the household that he he is quick to save households (laughs) the attack on the household section two Um, this is second Timothy three So we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about um, God's heart for the household. And we know that if God has a strong desire for the household, then Satan is going to attack it. It's just inevitable. Um, we should never be surprised that if, if this is a central point of God's desire for, those, for us to have an impact on our homes, that it's also going to be a battleground. Um, and so looking at... The first nine verses of chapter 3, let's read through it. Um, We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins. Led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But Janus and Jambres um, opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected it in regard to the faith, but they will not make... Further progress for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janice and Jambres's folly was also. Um, evidently, the women in these homes um, were weak; they didn't know how the gospel addressed their sin or its impulses. Um, they weren't equipped well to know how to deal with the sin, with sin and desires. They were always learning something, but evidently it wasn't learning from God's word that impacted their heart. Um, where are the men where are the leaders in these homes how are they shepherding their spouses Um, what is your wife reading Um, what's impacting her heart how do you participate how do you prioritize their participation in the church Um, to protect them against people that could lead them astray. Um, What's their involvement in Wellspring? Uh, There was a period where Jenna and I had a hard time making it for both of us to go to small group consistently. And every week when we decided who was going to stay home with the kids versus who was going to go to small group, I looked at my week and looked at where I was shepherding my heart and where I was involved in other ministries and said, you know what? My wife has been involved in less ministry than me. It's her turn to go to small group. And she went to small group more than I did. Um, this was back when we were in Shag's small group. So, sorry, Shag. It was a management of strategizing, like, how do I make sure that, that my spouse is getting as much care for her heart as I was? And I was involved in Build, and Wellspring didn't exist, and it was a time to, to say this is how I prioritize my wife's um, just living out d three. Um, and I would encourage you guys to take um, take a look at how you're prioritizing just the way your wife um, and kids are getting their heart shepherded. Um, and for you, those of you that aren't married, I should have touched on this a lot earlier. Like, most people have roommates. Most people have family. Like, it's important to think about this in the context in which you live. Um, and if you don't, if you live on your own, um, then this is just good, like, Foundation to think about as you even look to a spouse or look to that period of time when you're managing a household. Um, and when you're on your own, um, there's so many ways to just let your life not like lack. Um, even alone, you can be shepherding your time in your home well. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to say that. I don't even know how many people are here that way, but um, let's look at the elder qualification in Titus 1 9. I have no idea where I'm at versus where we'll, when we'll be done. I'm two pages away from my note that says we should be 50 minutes into it, and we are an hour and 15 minutes into it. So, there you go. Sorry discussion group leaders. <laughs> I don't want to stop halfway, so we're going to keep going. Um, this is an elder qualification, and frankly the reason that I didn't do small groups first was because I knew this was going to run long. Um, Titus 1, nine. So the elder must be holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to rebu- refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Um, the household's best protection is a man who shepherds his own heart and then his family into the church where the shepherds who can ha- where there are shepherds who can review doctrinal error with sound doctrine. Um, the elders have a role here, but a good house shepherd can help protect his church his household um, if you're i mean if you're here, you're probably not the person I'm talking to right now, but um, if you're not. Intentionally bringing your household into a church under the authority of Scripture, then you have the risk of them um, not hearing sound doctrine and being swayed. Um, and so, um, let's move on. The household can become an obstacle to the gospel. We don't want to lift up our household higher than what God does. Um, we need to set our... Set level our eyes for where God puts the house. So let's look at the Matthew 10 section. Verses 34 through 39. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace on earth but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. For he who loves a father more than me, he is not worthy of me. Um, We talked about that briefly with the the sons um, being a priority over God. Um, The family is not the apex of God's redemptive plan. The family is very important to God's heart, but the gospel is the apex of God's plan. Um, The family is a servant to that gospel supremacy. Sometimes, as we saw with Lydia and the Philippian jailer, the gospel will take over a whole household by grace. Um, Sometimes, the gospel expresses its supremacy in different ways. And that's what we just talked about, actually. One, by bringing an entire household under, under itself through one member, or two, by splitting one member of the household away from the household. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus tells us here that oftentimes the gospel will divide family members. Um, either way, the gospel is the apex of God's plan. Um, I'm just going to read. You guys don't have to turn there. I'm going to read Luke 9, verses 57 through 62. It says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those who are at my home. And Jesus said to them, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This section reminds me of the rich young ruler, where God looked straight at a man's heart and recognized that he had prioritized his home over the gospel. Um, Jesus saw that in this, in these two circumstances, um, the, the men had put family over The gospel and he said this you're not fit for the kingdom Um, one more mark three i'm going to read a few verses from there Um, actually i'm just going to skip that i think i've driven this point home Um, the last section is god's concern for a gospel-centered marriage Um, and the first point there is leading a wife requires a strong grasp of the gospel um so let's look at Ephesians 5:25 through 33. Husbands love your wife, wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Men or husbands must spend the rest of their life developing a solid grasp on how Jesus loved the church. That's discipline one. When we do that, we know how to love our wives. if we don't know how, to lo- how Christ loved the church, we're not going to know how to follow this example. And so we need to dedicate our lives to an understanding of Christ and a, and a love for Christ as he, um, as he laid his life down for the church. Um, and the second half of that, we have to have a solid grasp on the church, on the oneness of the church and the body of- with Christ. The husband must shepherd his heart with the doctrine of the church because marriage isn't merely about marriage, but the relationship between Jesus and the church. If the body of Christ in the gospel is an afterthought to the man, his love for his wife will be stunted. Um, this is actually where D3 affects our D2. If we understand Christ and the church, then we'll be able to, um, to love our family well. And I was thinking about this. I think last time I mentioned how... A lot of our, our D3 activities feed our shepherding of our own hearts and our shepherding of our church. And, um, and I think a good litmus test is if how we're participating in body life doesn't improve our own heart shepherding and love for God, or doesn't improve our household relationships and the way we're caring for our home, then we're doing it wrong. Um, and so there's ways that we can shepherd our, uh, we can be involved in the church that doesn't improve the way we're shepherding our home. And and so look at your involvement in the church and say, how is this helping my household relationships, and how is this loving um, my family? And, and that's a great way to just know if we're leapfrogging those for the church. Um, and then finally, the last bullet, number nine of the nine categories that we've split up um, is... In Acts chapter 18. We're going to kind of bounce around here. Um, And so verses 1 through 3. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a, a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, he came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade, they were tent makers. Let's watch their marriage, this Priscilla and Aquila. Um, So jump down to 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, and I alexandrian by birth an eloquent man came to ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures this man had been instructed in the way of the lord and being fervent in spirit he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of john and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue but when priscilla and aquila heard him they took him aside and explained to him the way of god more accurately and when he wanted to go across achaia Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And then, without turning there, um, at the end of Romans six, Paul says, "Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, for my life risked, who for my life risked their own necks." to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. This is a marriage relationship that had a significant impact for the gospel. Um, When I think, I I, I don't know why my mind goes there, but when I hear about the guy who um, was preaching false doctrine and they pulled him aside, I immediately went to think that's something I see Tom and Ann do very well. If you guys haven't been counseled by Tom and Ann, um, their partner and the way that they interact in a counseling situation is phenomenal and i want to be like them when i grow up Um, and and they they follow this model of a husband and wife using their relationship to further gospel ministry um and so the question i have is is your ministry a partnership with your wife or is she a sideline observer Um, and i think that can have different um manifestations depending on your stage of life um Jenna and I partner a lot more in our gospel ministry now that we don't have two-year-olds to take care of. Um, and and yet, there's, there's an importance in that. So the overwhelming message of the Bible is that the man of God places a priority on, the, on spiritually influencing his household. Um, God's heart for the home through the man of God can't be missed. Um, and... I mean, we went through, I don't even know how many. There were 40 total. We went through a ton of passages. Um, if you, when you're reading God's Word and like going through your daily Bible reading, a lot of times it's helpful to trace something through God's Word to help keep you engaged as you're reading. If you trace family relationships um, and God's heart for marriage and those family relationships, it, it'll take forever because it's just everywhere in Scripture um and so what can we conclude um on the negative side if we ignore neglect or difficult to our household relationships that would stand out in stark contrast to what god's <coughs> plan is um and on the positive side if we have a heart that is shepherded to god through his word we must step lovingly and boldly into household relationships um And if you're a man that does that well in his home, that is evidence that you've seen God's love for the home.